Previously on Tales of the Voidfarer. This is Kensley Duskford. You have kids on a ship that might do some very dangerous lines of work. The number of kids I have on this ship doubled thanks to you. You're welcome. Scriv, if we find salvage, we'll need you to chronicle it. Yes, Captain. Hi, Scriv. Are there living creatures on here? Is, is there anything uh, dangerous? More often than not, we just find asteroid jumpers. Doesn't sound so bad. You guys feel uneasiness, almost like you're being watched. Sure, the DM didn't bring it up for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? You see ascend from the chasm a beholder. Oh, fuck. I'm going to turn the thing towards the entrance and scoot my way inside of the catapult and hit that lever. Oh my god. Blackbeak has decided for us, I think. You see the ship break in half as it engulfs into flames and slide into the chasm. You slowly begin to drift to sleep. You're wondering, why didn't anybody make a big deal about the old man, the gith? Wait, was there a man? No, there mustn't have been. everybody, welcome back to Tales of the Voidfarer, and this is the first episode of Chapter 2. Actually, it's really interesting, we were just talking about this before we started, but this is the first recording since we went live with our Episode 1. So, how do you guys feel about how it's been going so far? Well, I've, I've, I've heard all the response to Luckbeak's voice that people are saying, so from now on... He is going to sound uh, more like a California surfer dude uh, than a Southern lawyer. I, I, I've heard, I've heard your, your, I've gotten your emails, I've gotten your postcards. So, thank you. <laughs> I feel like that's going to fit the character's attitude a lot more, honestly. I, I think it's more true to what I was aiming for with him as well. So, I appreciate our fans. Yeah, feedback is appreciated. <laughs> I am just amazed that people are listening. I, I really didn't think I was going to listen to this ever. <laughs> So we have to start, like, actually trying now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, holy shit. <laughs> I'm just excited that we have fans. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that is proof to you guys that this is more than just an elaborate ploy to just get you guys to hang out with me. It might be that, but we also making a podcast. I thought you were just recording our voice so that you could later sign us up for things by using, like, yeses and noes <laughs> in our case. Well, no, I'm building anatomically accurate androids of all of you, oh, and I need sure. voice samples to emulate that part accurately. That checks out. <laughs> yeah. You could have just told me <laughs> that. that. I would have been into it. <laughs> <laughs> What's with the elaborate ruse? <laughs> 
So uh, when do people start sending us dice? That's my question. <laughs> Fiona, you can't solicit our fans for dice. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, well, now, now you're walking a thin line because you have to give your home address now and you either are going to get dice or something much worse. So are you, you know, going to be a, that person? That's a risk I'm willing to take, honestly. Okay, okay. <laughs> dice or porn, either or. <laughs> Send both, honestly. Like, sure. I don't <laughs> give dice. me gifts. <laughs> Well, without further ado, perhaps we should jump back into this crazy story that we've started and has a life of its own now. You find yourselves within the damaged hull of a Scrow battle wagon, the ship resembling from the outside a massive charging boar. Ravnus, you are in the hold with the other gunners, Lester and Robin, who you've met before, and the other gunners who you've only met briefly in passing. There is a female brass dragonborn named Varith Naxus, a human named Ormond Seabrook, a dwarf named Tira Sunforged, as well as a half-elf by the name of Elwyn Morweir. And right now, you're not doing gunner things. You are helping load this massive salvage hall that you have come across in this scrow ship. You found it originally amongst what looked like the remains of a ancient battle, shrapnel floating all throughout space. Most of the ships in the vicinity destroyed, and this battleship was one of the few remaining. Robin is going to say, hey, can you give me a hand with this? As she bends down to lift a large chest. Ravnus goes on to the other side and helps mm -hmm. her with the chest. You guys start walking it towards the blown out side hull of this ship. The Blackfin, the Remora ship of the Voidfarer, is docked to its side. You see Brohane there with his spider construct, Ira. And the backside of Ira, this large spider-like abdomen, actually is opened up. And Brohane is overseeing the loading of era's ass <laughs> effectively <laughs> and val is standing over there with roxana as well it's lucky we ran into this it more than makes up for the rather unsuccessful salvage operation that we originally came out here for brohane's going to instruct you where to put this and robin is going to dust off her hands a little bit roxana is going to turn to you and says it looks like the rest of the gunners have it under control here if you want to go check the chambers to the fore of the craft to see if there's anything else worth taking all right and she heads with robin to the front of the craft yeah in fact you know that marco and scriv are off that way kind of looking for anything magical or lore in nature you head that way and you see that there's some small storage stuff but nothing super major you find an armory that has a bunch of scrow long swords and you would know that scrow are space orc marines you find the brig which is right across the hall from the armory. Do you see that there are skeletal remains inside of the brig? There's four individuals, a human and a dwarf for certain, but the other two strikes you because they are unmistakably gith. Um, when you say skeletons, do you mean that like all the clothes are also disintegrated or just like... It's very, very old. There may be tatters remaining, but most of it has disintegrated to dust. You're pretty sure that this scrow craft was actually here from the Cretorian age. 
Oh, okay. It's very old. Like, does Robin seem like they're, like, super on a mission, or do they, like, kind of have a second? She's poking around a little bit and sees that, kind of looks through it and assesses that there's nothing of real value here. And, well, it looks like they didn't meet a very nice end. Yeah, I guess not. Ravenous is going to kind of, like, give it a quick sweep with her eyes uh, before... Moving on to what they're supposed to be doing. And as you kind of look over the room and you see these skeletal gith, you can't help but to be reminded of that very old looking gith that you saw in a dream not too long ago. She goes to the next room and starts going through everything, like looting it, making sure that there's nothing of importance that they need to take. Um, but, you know, she she regards it and she kind of like thinks about it. But I mean, she she gets on with her job. Yeah, it looks like Robin is going to start pulling the weapons off of the racks in the armory, and they don't look like anything special, but could be something that the Voidfarer crew could use, or even selling it will learn something. Yeah, she goes over and helps, uh, starts bagging things, you know. Yep. Marco, you're only a few chambers away in the captain's quarters. You and Scriv originally came this direction to look for the helm room to see if there was any salvageable phlogisterite, cinder shard, or a functioning helm, because even a functioning helm will fetch a pretty decent sum. Unfortunately, however, the helm room being at the very front of the ship, there wasn't hardly anything left of it. The front end of the ship took significant damage, and when you open the door to that room, you just see the empty void of space, this black emptiness, and just floating debris all around. But the captain's quarters was adjacent, so you went in there and actually found a variety of interesting things. The first thing you noticed when you walked in and what you're looking over now is star charts spread out across a table and notes. Most of the notes seem to be in a rather large jagged script that reminds you of Orcish. I don't believe you speak Orcish anyway, right? I do not speak Orcish now. Yeah. So you recognize it as an Orcish script of some sort, but it's unfamiliar to you and you wouldn't have been able to even read it anyway. But what's interesting is, is that there are other notes in a different script that you have seen before because they are Kratorian. Oh, okay. And it looks like they are notes and ledgers that probably didn't originate on this craft, were probably plundered or taken at some point. Okay, um, can I make some sort of check to kind of look into this? We'll just say straight intelligence check. Straight intelligence, you got it. That would be a 17. You can't read it, but it does look like there are a lot of symbols that you recognize from other examples of this that you've seen. And you're pretty sure with the more examples that you collect, the greater chance that you will have to maybe being able to eventually translate it. Um, I'm going to look over to, is, is Scriv with me in the room or did he go somewhere else? <laughs> no, Scriv is standing there okay. in the room with you, looking over the star charts as well. What did you find, Marco Astorio? Um, let me ask you, does, does this look like it might be of any value? And I pass hmm. over the Cretorian notes to him. Well, it is spectacular penmanship, if I do say so myself, even considering the fact that I haven't the slightest idea of what it says. I don't believe it would fetch a whole lot in its own merit, but to a scholar, it might be of value. Well, it sounds like I'm a scholar who finds a lot of value in this, so <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm going to hold on to it for a little while and study Oh, certainly. It. Anything to help us understand this fascinating culture. And so Marco is starting, like, putting everything he can find in Kratorian into his book. If it even, like, says cookbook on it, uh, Marco is shoving it into his bag. How would you know? All the pictures of hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. Like, hot dogs. 
<laughs> so yeah, like at this point now, he is shoving this stuff into his bag now. As you do that, another thing sort of catches your eye. There's other things in this room. It's obviously a captain's quarters. There's a bed. There's a large wardrobe to the one side, and the door on that is ajar, and you actually don't see clothes within it. It looks like there's some sort of suit of armor. So, all right, I'm going to go over to this suit of armor, and is, is there a, a jar next to the suit of armor? Is that what's going on? No, the door is ajar. God damn it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> thought you said there's a jar. This is a magic world. The door could be a jar, Nick. Come on. <laughs> All right. So I'm unequivocally, since there is no jar for me to look at, I'm going to go to the suit of armor and just sort of start examining it, start to look sure. at it. Uh, Would you have looked at the jar first before the suit of armor if there was, in fact, a jar there? It depends on what's in the jar. <laughs> Like, I mean, if there's, like, the head of a mind flayer in there, then that's more interesting than some suit of armor. <laughs> I guess that's fair. All right. So you open this wardrobe and you see what looks like a full suit of plate armor. It has interesting instruments on its seams, and it has a seam that kind of runs down the sternum and wise off where the bottom of the rib cage is. And you definitely see arcane channels and sigils in it. This looks like it's of Kratorian origin for sure, but some sort of magitech. Oh, girl. <laughs> it appears to be damaged. Oh. In fact, part of the chest plate, almost where that seam is, looks like it's hanging slightly to one side. And it gives you the impression that this chest plate almost opens from the front, allowing someone to step inside of it without having to don it in the traditional sense. Do I get the sense that I can repair this? You get okay. the sense that this is probably something that, like, Brohane would want to look at and... It's probably not something that any one person will be able to fix right away. You'll have to reverse engineer it before you can figure out how okay. to fix it. Is, there an, is it in any way salvageable? It definitely looks like it could be. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Not for me right now, but like if we took this with us, we could repair it eventually. Yeah. So I'm going to look over to Scriv. Hey, Scriv, can you come over here and take a look at this? He's picked up something else. It looks like it's a small chest, and he looks like he's in the process of opening it. And he, he stops and looks up and goes... Oh, what is it? Uh, it's it's a suit of armor. It's 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 weird. It has some definitely has some Magitek sort of origins to it, but I'm not really sure if I've ever seen anything like it before. He'll walk over to you, uh, setting the chest back down on the charting table. Hmm. Yes, this is most interesting. It does appear to be some sort of armor, and it does appear to be imbued with some sort of Magitek. In fact, it looks like things that originated where my people did. Where your people did? Yes, the forged. Ooh. I've never been there myself, but they come from a place called Eberron. This does not look like this particular set of armor came from there. Perhaps Kratorian tech is not dissimilar than that of Eberron. Marco is currently just staring at this thing now in bewilderment like, oh yes, I need to know more about this. This is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if he wasn't already before, he kind of like half listened to Scriv at the end there. Wow. So like your people... And this is very similar. Okay, interesting. Um, we're gonna, we're definitely taking this with us. Uh, do we have anything to carry this with? Scriv kind of like awkwardly looks around. No. Um, what, what were you looking at before? I saw you were holding a chest over there. Yes. He turns and he'll pick it back up and he'll open it. He kind of cocks his head at it slightly and reaches inside and pulls out what looks like a glass orb. And it has like a band of silver that goes all the way around like its equator. And it seems to have like a soft bluish glow. Would you have any idea what this would be? 
Uh, would I? <laughs> you make an arcana check. All right, beautiful. 22. It looks like a magic item that you would be familiar with called a drift globe, but it's not exactly the same. You would be familiar that a drift globe is an orb that emanates light and it will hover in the air by itself and follow you if you so desired. But uh, you're not sure about the metal banding on it and that sort of thing. Uh, And as you inspect it a little bit closer, it looks like it has like a script etched all the way around it, but it is not like anything you're familiar with. It doesn't match the Scritorian script. It doesn't match the scroll scrawlings that you found. It's, it's wholly different. I look over to script and I was like, well, it's, I I used to like handle things like this in Toral. It's a drift, it's, it's the drift globe, I would say, but it's nothing like I've seen before. There's some sort of weird writing on it that I've never seen and... Well, the, the metal band, I don't know if it's there for show or if it's there for some other purpose. As you're deep in examining this thing, you hear a rustle come from behind you. And you look and you see just something dirt in the shadows close to the ground. And it goes behind where the wardrobe that this suit of armor is standing in. I'm going to first off hand the drift globe back to Scriv. And then mm-hmm. I'm just going to approach hesitantly. As you approach, you do in fact see a creature, and it hesitantly comes out a little bit towards you, and it is this rodent-like creature. It's small, not a whole lot bigger than a normal rat, but it's hairless, and it's bipedal, like it's larger back legs, and it's tiny little front legs kind of dangle in front of it, almost like a little dinosaur. It has long, naked mole rat incisors, and its skin is a little bit wrinkly, and it has these little pale spines that kind of run down its back and down its tail, and then its whiskers splay out to either side. The one thing you notice is it looks super malnourished it looks very skinny and it kind of looks up at you like a little scared and it twitches its nose at you and kind of makes a couple soft like little so um squeaks marco currently has a smile like as wide as his face can allow and his eyes are just like glistening he's just like oh my god it's adorable what what is this and like he just reaches into his bag to get some rations like a a hefty portion and tries Uh to offer it to it yeah and Scriv is going to stand there and he goes, interesting, that looks like an asteroid jumper. And you've heard of these, Valve mentioned these, they're like little teleporting rats. Come here, little guy. Hey, I'm not going to hurt you, buddy. Come on. It very cautiously comes up to you and it reaches out with its tiny little hands and it takes the, the food and it turns around and scurries away. Oh, well, it, that thing was adorable. It's an asteroid jumper? Yes, an asteroid And Scriv stops and cocks his head, and you feel there's a rumble beneath the planks, beneath your feet. And suddenly you hear the cracking of wood as thousands and thousands of asteroid jumpers burst through the floor, (laughs) and you are being swarmed. I need you to roll for initiative. (laughs) Oh, shit. We just wanted an adorable pet. Nicholas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a solid four for me. Ravnus, you're only like a room away, so you can roll for initiative as well. Because you're going to hear. Thirteen. I think the first thing that Ravnus is going to hear is, oh, fuck! (laughs) You immediately get surrounded by all of these tiny, ravenous, little, naked space rats. Adorable death machines. Yep, they just immediately surround you. And they are going to try and bite at you, but that's only going to be a six. That's going to miss. 
yep. even with my painfully low armor class. The other swarm is going to also attack you, and that's only a seven. Oh, wow. By the they're way. not very good. And then, oh, wow. I'm not using this die anymore. Yeet. <laughs> no, keep using that die. It's great. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Ravnus, you and Robin are in the process of collecting these swords, and suddenly you just hear cracking wood and like a soft rumble, and Marco scream, oh, fuck. From the next room over. I feel like Ravenous will know Marco well enough at this point to, like, know she should probably help. <laughs> so she's going to go in and uh, see all these little fuckers. Um, I'm going to. Does Ravenous know what these are? Uh, yeah, Ravenous would be familiar with these. Um, you do also know that they can, like, basically at will teleport. Yeah, I think it's pretty likely that she will see these as vermin, correct? Correct. Okay, yeah, <laughs> they're not pets. Um, so she's going to take out her club and probably try to swing at the swarm. Okay. That is a 23. That does hit. All right. It pains me to do this because I also wanted a pet. <laughs> <laughs> Seven damage. A few of them kind of squeak and fall dead on the floor, but the, oh, no. the, ma- the mass of the rest of them continues to undulate. Robin's going to run up next to you. Holy shit, what happened? And hastily draw her sword and take a swing. She's going to hit a different section of it, though. Eight damage. It's the asteroid jumper's turn. The one that you hit, Ravenous, you hit it and suddenly all of the like couple hundred rats immediately in front of you that you hit, just there's a flash of blue light and they vanish. And then you just suddenly feel all of them land on top of you (laughs) as they just teleport basically on top of you, landing on you and surrounding you. So they're basically just like tribbles. (laughs) (laughs) And they, oh, they just crit on you. (laughs) If you kill my character doing this, I'm going to be unbelievably pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Just death by space rats. 21 points of damage. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my God. I rolled really high. Jesus Christ. Uh, The other swarm is going to attack Robin. They are going to hit for seven damage. And Marco, the one on you, is going to attack you. That's going to hit you, Marco, for seven points of damage. Ow. Little fuckers. You got a bite on them. You have the food. It's on your bones. <laughs> All right. Would it's... you say that they are ravenous? Uh... <laughs> that's the one. You got one. That was it. <laughs> God, if you get one of these and keep it as a pet, you better call it ravenous. Ravenous. <laughs> ravenous and ravenous. That's adorable. Uh, Scriv is going to back away from all of the rats. Marco, he is going to touch you and cast heroism on you. Uh, you are now immune to being frightened, but more importantly, you gain four temporary hit points. Okay. Good to know. Because Scriv is a bard. Good job, Scriv. I see you're a man of culture like myself. It's all the poetry. <laughs> Marco, it's your turn. Okay, so whenever it comes to these uh, creatures, are they like physically on top of us? So in Yeah, they're like crawling all over you. So yeah, if I were to cast like something like Acid Splash, I would hit Ravnus. Maybe. Um, well, the way Acid Splash works is that they make a saving throw, right? Exactly. Then no. 
You could do it in such a way that it's not going to hit Ravenous. All right. So, yeah, let's just go Acid Splash. Um, They have to make a dexterity saving throw. DC save is 14. They fail. All right. So that is 1d6 damage. So that's four damage to them. Okay. And then I am going to um, try to move closer to uh, the others. Uh, actually, moving out of the swarm would invoke uh, an attack of opportunity. Okay, so uh, let's just stay where I'm at. All right, so then, Ravnus, it's your turn. Uh, can Ravnus try to hit the ones that are on her? Or is that just, like, hitting herself in the face with a club? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you could detect those ones. Okay, so she is going to do that. Natural 20. Damn. So then I roll two separate dice, correct? I don't double? Yeah, you roll the dice twice, and then you add the modifier once. Okie dokie. Seven plus three is ten. Ten damage. Yeah, you kill, like, most of them. They're still, like... There's a lot of dead rats around you now. But the ones that are left are still attacking you. But they definitely seem to be made less effective just by you taking out their numbers. Robin's turn. She's going to attack the ones that are on her. And she's going to hit. So she's just like cursing under her breath as she's swinging her sword downward. Just It's their turn. Marco, the one on you is going to teleport away and land on Scriv. And uh, they're going to attack him. And they're going to miss. So then the one on Ravnus is going to attack. That is going to hit, but they deal less damage now because there's fewer of them. Uh, That's only three piercing damage. Then the one on Robin is going to attack her and miss. It's Scriv's turn. He's going to pull out a short sword and try and attack the ones on him. And he's going to miss horribly. Marco, you are now ratless, um, but all of your friends in the room currently have rat problems. Mm, Okay. Let's go then another acid splash on... Ravenous, dexterity saving throw, 14. They succeeded that time. Okay, unfortunately then it just misses. All right, Ravenous. Uh, hit more of these rats. Do it. That is not as good. That's a 15. That still hits. Awesome. Five damage. Okay, you kill the last of the rats around you. And suddenly the other rats kind of see that happen and there is a sudden flash of blue light and they're gone. They just vanished. The door swings open and you see Val and Roxana there going, what what happened? Rats. Rats. (laughs) All right. Luckbeak. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we're done with that. (laughs) It's a good button on that scene. Luckbeak, you are back aboard the Voidfarer. You did not get to go on this excursion because in the week time since getting back from your salvage scout operation, Mm -hmm. it was kind of decided that the best fit for you aboard the ship job wise is probably as a cabin hands along with Riley and Edgar and the other children of the crew. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're taking an opportunity with everyone else out helping on this salvage job to clean a lot of the cabins while they are vacant Okay. You guys are going cabin to cabin. It's basically the whole cabin slash deckhand group. 
you have Kinsley, the dwarf that you met previously. He's helping kind of pick up rubbish here or there. Adgar's helping him. He's actually holding the like the trash bag, essentially, <laughs> following Kinsley around. It seems like Adgar is kind of taking a liking to the dwarf. There's this teenage boy that you know, his name is Kale, and he is currently in the process of mopping and complaining constantly. Riley is there as well. She has her own kind of garbage bag and is kind of going around picking up stuff and tidying up in general. You know that there's another teenage girl. Her name is Ismeni, and she's a half-elf. And she appears to be like a fledgling wizard of some sort. She actually has her spellbook out, and she's kind of going around using prestidigitation to kind of tidy up and clean, and occasionally casting mending here or there to repair some ropes or wood sure. or other stuff. And Luckbeak, you could be uh, helping out with any of those tasks, either helping pick up or perhaps mopping yourself, or it's really up to you. What do you want to? How do you want to be helping clean the ship? Well, you know, I think Luckbeak probably views himself as a indispensable part of this team as sort of a taskmaster. So I, uh-huh. I think he, he might be, you know, supervising these kids more than he's actually cleaning, right? Uh, maybe picking, right. picking up here and there, um, but mostly using it as an excuse to kind of look through stuff. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you are kind of going into like actual like people's quarters to tidy up a little bit. Um, It's mostly like to like pick up garbage and maybe like get their linens and like Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Well, and you would also know that while she's not present right now, there is somebody who has that job. Her name is Tiana. Uh, and she's a halfling. Okay. Um, she's kind of been popping in and out, but she's generally in charge of keeping track that makes sure all the chorin gets done. Okay, got it. Is that her main job on the ship? More or less. Okay. She's lumped in with the like deckhands and cabin hands. She's older. Um, she's probably about Kensley's age because he's not a teenager. He's like a young adult. Okay. Um, she's about the same age as him. And occasionally you'll see she'll come in and she has a clipboard and she'll tap Kinsley on the arm and he'll look at her and she'll sign something to him. Okay. And he'll nod and give someone an instruction. Got it. And then she'll kind of go on to do her business. Sure. But you would know that she is deaf. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, you're just kind of there helping out. And there's Kale, this team. He goes, oh, man, I hate mopping. I'd much rather be picking up shit. And my hands get all pruney. Well, you know, here's a little. Kale, I see a lot of myself in you sometimes. So let me give you a little tip. All you have to do is convince someone that mopping is the most fun thing you've ever done in your life. Stop complaining. Start living. And soon you'll be picking stuff up because they'll be begging you for that mop. What do you know? What do I know? Son, I am a... You're only here because you couldn't cut it on one of the actual jobs. I've been telling Val that I should be a gunner for the longest time, and she has me, you know, mopping. Yes. And actually, Ismeni is is going to speak up. You know, the last time you were picking up rubbish, you complained about that too. Hmm. (laughs) He'll kind of like roll his eyes. I see. So you'll complain no matter what. Well, guess what? Gunning's no better than mopping's no better than picking up rubbish. You're going to be doing the same thing either way. It's not that exciting. It's glorified. I don't need to be lectured by a fucking duck. Listen now. (laughs) Good God. Boy, I do see a lot of myself in you. I had a lot of that same attitude. Kinsey. Hey, Kinsey, you, could you could you come over here? I need to pick up Kale and toss him in your trash bag. We got a, just a giant piece of garbage on our hands. <laughs> Kin- 
Kinsley is going to look over and laugh. And he goes, now, Kale, you should be behaving yourself. And Kale just turns to him and goes, you're not my dad. You can't even grow a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your mark of of dadlyhood? Anyone who grows a beard can be your father? (laughs) Well, you would remember that Kinsley is a young adult dwarf, but his beard is super patchy. Sure. Okay. (laughs) And actually, one thing you notice this whole time is that Riley has been, like, trying really hard not to laugh at Kale like complaining Uh but she's doing a very bad job of it okay all right so look at this all the other kids here they're laughing at you you understand you're not doing yourself any favors well if you want to mop so bad you do it well sure this oh you almost got me see now you could be convincing little kids to do you almost had me there He kind of like cocks an eyebrow at you and will keep mopping. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, at that point, uh, you see Tiana returns and she'll go over to Kinsley, who is kind of like the de facto second in command of this group of the crew. And Kinsley will actually say, Edgar, um, would you be so kind as to run a message to the helm room and let let Mr. Salon know that uh, we will be loading salvage? And Adgar kind of nods. And you see Riley kind of look a little concerned. But Adgar goes, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And he'll leave. And Tiano is going to leave as well, going off to do whatever is she is going to do. And you guys continue moving cabin to cabin and you can get to the main crew quarters, which is a large communal sleeping area. There's hammocks hanging about and you're continuing to work in there. Okay. And Kale's just going to continue to complain here or there, basically saying like the gunners never have to swab decks never pick their hands are never pruny good god son you what what why are you on this ship he does not have a chance to answer because there's a flash of blue light and the room is suddenly filled with thousands of space rats and i need you to roll for initiative jesus okay (laughs) unexpected had not even unearthed my dice yet was not expecting to roll during this scene uh nope i got a 16 they get to keep their initiative from the last battle because this has not changed for them. Do I see our, uh, our our Marco and Ravnus with them at all? Nope. Okay. And you would have no way of knowing, but the asteroid jumpers were fleeing the battle that they were having with Marco and Ravnus and mm-hmm. just so happened to jump into this room of Got the it. Voidfarer. And Luckbeak, you would be familiar with asteroid jumpers just as vermin throughout wild space. You've never seen them like this. There are thousands of them at once. Just into the room. Okay. (laughs) Kale is going to go first, but first thing he's going to do is kind of leap backwards and fall on his ass, tripping over the mop bucket and stand back up and make a kind of half-assed swing at the rats with his mop and miss. And Luckbeak, it's your turn. Oh boy. How many rats are there? There are two swarms of rats. So Mm -hmm. thousands. (laughs) Okie dokie. Uh, if this were a text adventure, I would type look and pay attention to where the exits are. Where are the exits in this room? (laughs) Uh, You are in the communal crew quarters. This is the very aft of the ship on the Orlop Mm -hmm. deck. There is only one door out of this room. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, on level up, uh, instead of taking a, um... A point in a uh, uh, in Constitution, which I was thinking about, I instead took a feat. Okay. Um, uh, magic initiate. Ah. Um, I feel like I've been on the Voidfarer enough that maybe I've picked up a small trick or two. 
uh, from or at the very least, me. like hanging out with Marco. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Marco is like a talking thinker anyway. So just being in proximity, you kind of pick up things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely. kind of peg him as a talking thinker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cast my only first level spell, uh, which is animal friendship uh, on one of the swarms of rats. I believe the description of the spell says the creature is charmed. Um, yep. Charmed. Okay. You cast the spell. It does not connect. And you get the impression it's because there are just so many of these individual rats and they're in a frenzy that they are immune to being charmed. Got it. Okay. So that was a rather poor first attempt at magic for sure. Lucky. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so I, I, I bend down on my knees and I start murmuring at these rats that start spitting and hissing at me. Uh, so. It is World War Z of rats. Like yeah, they're just like, over each other and like <laughs> forming a wall to get yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, to kind of tuck a couple of the kids behind me and start backing towards the door. Got it. Yeah, Riley seems to be very eager to move in that direction. Anyway. Sure, sure. All right, it is Kensley's turn. He is going to draw a dagger and run up to one of the swarms and take a stab at it. He does indeed hit and does three damage. <laughs> it is their turn. Kensley's getting swarmed and Luckbeak, you're getting swarmed. Okay. They tidal wave over you and start biting at you. 16 to hit. That hits me. Three piercing damage. Okay. It is Riley's turn. She is going to head towards the door. And actually, the bucket that Kale kicked over is laying there, and she's going to pick it up and just chuck it at one of the <laughs> masses of rats. Uh, the one on you, specifically. Oh, perfect. Okay. Uh, but She's been waiting for an excuse to throw a bucket at me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's going to miss. Okay. All right. It's Ismini's turn. She has magic. What's she going to do? She cast Firebolt at the one that is on you, Luckbeak. Okay. She hits. Luckily, the rats crawling all over you are a thick enough shield that you do kind of feel the heat as it hits the rats. And actually, that's enough to kill them. Oh, okay. And there's a few that are still alive, but you see quick little flashes of light here and there. And they just vanish. <laughs> but there are still one swarm left that is around Kinsley. It's Kale's turn, and he is going to attempt to hit that swarm with the mop. And miss, and hit Kinsley instead. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Luckbeak, it's your turn. Um, let's see. Uh, so I'm going to keep uh, kind of putting them towards the doors and backing up. Meanwhile, taking aim at uh, uh, one of the swarms with my crossbow. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be 17. That hits. Cool. You would have sneak attack. Oh, so I would. All right. Yeah, because Kinsley is an ally and he is technically adjacent to the swarm. Nice. Is six plus six plus five. So 17 damage. 17 damage? <laughs> yeah. You perfectly time your crossbow bolt and it skewers like six rats. <laughs> and the others just kind of panic and scatter and just bamf away. Nice. Now, I can't remember the last time I got my tetanus shot. This is a nightmare. <laughs> At that point, the door kicks open. Edgar walks back in and he has the sack over his shoulder and he goes, Did I miss the fun? <sighs> Yeah, it was a it was a goddamn blast, Edgar. <laughs> hey everyone, Nick here, your dungeon master. 
thanks for listening to Tales of the Voidfarer, Chapter 2, Episode 1. To echo what I and the crew said at the top of the episode, we are just super appreciative for everyone who's listening. We put a lot of work into each of these episodes, so it feels super good to know you're out there enjoying it. Speaking of which, if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a follow on our social media and let us know. At Voidfarer Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Voidfarer Pod on Twitter. And consider leaving a review on iTunes, that's super helpful. Or you can just tell your friends, spread the word. Tell them there's a penguin, that seems to work. Lastly, Fiona, our very own Ravness, and our producer Tom have launched their own podcast on our little Project Derailed network called Big Streaming Pile, where they are discussing the best bad movies found on Netflix and other streaming services. The first two episodes, discussing Netflix's Tall Girl and the R.L. Stein movies Goosebumps 2 and Mostly Ghostly, are available to listen to right now. Be sure to give them a like slash follow on Facebook slash Twitter at Big Streaming Pile Podcast and at Big Stream Pile, respectively. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the show. After all of that, I imagine everybody gets to work cleaning up this new mess. And Marco and Ravnus and everyone that was on board this Scro battle wagon, you start shuttling over your ample loot and start loading it on. And actually, Orella is there, the cleric of Celestian, the Far Wanderer. She's going to be there um, and seeing that there was a, a scuffle off her healing. And uh, there's also another individual um, who you haven't really interacted a whole lot with, but he goes as Doc Gallen, and he is the surgeon on board the ship. And he's kind of like a seedier looking guy. Uh, he has got long ratty coat and otherwise they will provide mundane healing, you know, wrapping cuts and bruises and that sort of thing. Anything minor that isn't really required for Arella's magic. So between the two of them they can get you patched up a little bit so and actually doc gallon is going to come to you Luckbeak, and the others and go i wasn't expecting uh the fucking cabin hands to need uh need some patching up they didn't go nowhere oh yeah well uh, we didn't expect a fucking rat infestation to teleport aboard the ship come on now <laughs> oh yeah asteroid hoppers they are uh, they're uh nasty buggers yeah sure not the first time that they've randomly just gotten onto here no, but they exist. Anytime you spend too much time close to asteroids or wreckages where they might be about, there's always a chance they hop aboard. Hey, Doc, remind me again. We are such good friends and we have spent a lot of time together. Where the hell are you from again? That accent is just delightful and I just can't. <laughs> I, I never can place it. <laughs> I piss off. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> On multiple layers. <laughs> uh, as everyone is shuttling stuff on and everyone's kind of running about doing stuff. And uh, Tiana has actually come back to where this battle has happened and is now making sure that all of these rats get, you know, scooped up and ejected off of this ship before they spread disease. Sure. Um, but yeah, she's kind of overseeing things. Um, so I think I'm going to kind of get her attention maybe by like tapping her on the shoulder yeah. or something. Um, yeah, she'll look at you and smile, and she'll sign to you. Hello. Um, so here's the thing. I think Luckbeak was frustrated. This might be why he even took Magi or Magic Adept, um, uh -huh. because he can't sign. He has flippers, right? <laughs> you do have digits. You have two fingers and a thumb. They're flatter and wider. Yeah, but that that doesn't really it doesn't quite have the uh, the same effect. I can't get across all the meaning with just yeah. three right. fingers. Right, it is difficult. 
So I'm going to uh, use the cantrip that I think uh, he probably took Magic Adept for, which is Mage Hand. And uh, he's going to sign to her, um, uh, were you at all hurt in that uh, scuff? Oh, I mean, he only learned it about a week ago, probably ASL in general. So, right. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> are you okay is probably where, mm-hmm. where the, the most he can yeah. get out. Well, actually, it's quite interesting. You probably would have picked it up quite well because this particular version of signing isn't too different than your Thieves' Cant, especially like oh. the like visual Thieves' Cant, almost like vagrant signs. Uh, but sure. you can sign those things in the air and a lot of that is the base for the signing that she uses. Okay, interesting. So while you may not know it all, you've probably picked it up pretty quickly and realized there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Oh, I'm God. Okay, there's some deep lore there about the first thief being deaf as well, or something that I love. Okay, all right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to I'm I'm going to sign. Are you all right? She's going to smile and nod and sign back to you. Yes, thankfully she was nowhere near the incident. Um, have you checked on all the kids? And she signs that she has, and they are all right. Okay. Uh, I'm going to sign back. Um, I know that I was complaining about being put in this position, but uh, I appreciate you keeping me here. I think it's a good idea that someone is here to watch them at all times and keep track of them. Again, she'll smile and nod and sign back to you that she appreciates the help. She can't have eyes everywhere, and she's glad you're here. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, uh, you guys are loading things back on, and I would imagine at some point, Luckbeak, you're going to run back into Marco and Ravnus as they're coming back onto the ship. Yeah. And you can see that they both look that they've had a scuffle of some sort. Mm. I, I mean, Ravnus, unless she got healed, is like mostly dead. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, you did get crit on. Yeah, she's at 13 out of 34. <laughs> Orella was offering healing to people. However, unless you specifically approach her to ask for it, she's not going to approach you, specifically Ravnus. Yeah, uh, Ravnus is going to go to Orella for healing. Yeah, you can see that she's actually currently in the process of healing Robin. She's holding her holy symbol of Celestian, uh, muttering a couple words. When you approach, she'll look up and see you, and you can see she immediately gets a little nervous. But then she'll say, do you require healing? Yes. Oh, all right. And she'll do the same thing and heal you ten. Oh, nice. And you do notice that she'll heal you just fine, um, but she's trying not to make eye contact. Is there anything else I can do? And you can kind of tell that she's really hoping you say no. No. Yeah, Ravenous says no. And uh, she walks away over to Luckbeak and Marco <laughs> if, they're, if they're together now. Yeah, Luckbeak, you've come out after your conversation uh, with Tiana. Okay. And you run into Marco and, and Ravenous, who are a little beat up now. Um, definitely, you can see that their clothes is a little disheveled and torn a little bit. Okay. They're sporting some wounds, but nothing major. But definitely they ran into something as well. Sure. All right. Well, give me the story. Rats. Rats. Asteroid jumpers. Well, I'm about to blow your mind. I point to my arm. Rats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Yeah. My son's a bitch is teleported. Wait, did you just Hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. (laughs) (laughs) Usually people show emotion by modulating their voices. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I, Even I, I know I, how to laugh. Scrib says walking by. Thank you, Scrib. Very helpful. 
Scriv. Yes, Marco Astoria. Could you also help me get the armor and the drift globe um, somewhere where it can be studied later? I'm not sure where we're going to put it, but... Oh, I have given the drift globe to Captain Valeria, and the armor was being handled by Brohane and Ira. Oh, well, that, that's, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, that's the people who probably should have it. Precisely my thought. And Scriv is going to kind of go over to where they're kind of slowly loading things on board. They're loading them onto the top deck of the ship and then lowering them down through the cargo hold to the lower decks. And he has his ledger out and is it's starting in the process of kind of chronicling everything that has come on board. Okay. Val will eventually find you. There you three are. I have something for you. Since this is our first real successful salvage operation. I figured it was only fair that you should reap your rewards a little bit early, and she will toss a small sack of coins towards each of you. Mm. Oh, well, th- thank you, Val. Ravnus puts hers in her backpack. Yep. Oh, I count it right there. There's 50 gold. 50, 50 gold. And she says, uh, and there's a little bit more. If you'd like to follow me down below decks, I can show you. So sure. Marco is a former grad student, um, and this is more gold than he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what the fuck to do right now. Yeah. So do you guys follow her downstairs? Uh, of course I do. Ravens follows. Yep. She's going to lead you all the way down to the Orlop deck, which is the main cargo hold and uh, head over to the locker slash treasury of the ship. They are in the process of lowering a lot of the cargo down. And it's been a couple hours of work now with them, you know, loading everything on. And Scriv is already down here now, starting to chronicle the things as they get put where they're going to be stored for now. But the treasury of the ship is a small room and tucked in the corner of the cargo hold near the brig. And there's a door to one side, but it's almost set up like a shop window. And Val is going to walk over and say, I don't believe you would have had the pleasure of meeting our purser of the Voidfarer. Everyone, this is uh, Yuri Marnovic. And you see a large, rotund human. He has a, a vest and like a dirty shirt. And he goes, ah, pleasure to meet you all. My name is Yuri, and I am the purser of Void the Voidfarer, as our illustrious captain has just told you. Pleasure to meet you. In addition to serving as purser, basically the treasurer aboard, he also runs sort of a general store. Um, If you need any basic supplies aboard the ship, he's willing to sell you it from our ship's stores. Anything beyond the normal effects that we will provide. In addition to that, uh, he also helps us chronicle many of the magic implements that we find, um, of which on this particular voyage we have found several. But first, I do have a favor I need to ask. And she gestures to Yuri, and he hands her, Marco, you recognize it, it's the small box that you and Scriv found. And she opens it and pulls out the drift globe. Yuri is accomplished in a variety of knowledge and information, and he seems to think that the writing on this orb is a Githyanki script. And she holds it out to Ravnus. Ravnus, would you, would you be able to read this? It's this faintly glowing glass orb that has a silver band around its equator, and you see small Githyanki script scrawled all the way around it. Um, Ravnus takes the orb and looks at it and tries to read it. You do, and you can. In fact, uh, you recognize this orb because 
One of your overseers at your hatchery had one not too dissimilar from it. It is, in fact, a drift globe, but it has an important additional function. And you read it, and it looks like it has several command words written in Gith around the outside. You know, the one for light, the one for sunlight, the one for float. But more importantly, there's one. It is the word Ornek, which is Gith Yankee for model or guide. Okay. Um... Okay, so she is like kind of regarding this, looking at it, and you said that in addition to being a drift club, it has another function. What exactly is that function? So you're not 100% sure because it's been so long since you were at the hatchery, but you know that that word, Ornek, which means model or guide, would be the command word for that function. Speaking it will activate it. Um, You do know that this thing is harmless. It, It basically emits magic light. Okay. Okay. So it's not going to like explode if she says it. Okay. It's not going to explode. Your overseers had this thing around children <laughs> at the Listen, hatchery. Listen, they're Yankee. That could mean anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So she's going to hold this globe and she's going to say orb. Um, the faint glowing light within the orb grows brighter and there's a flash and there is light immediately spreads out throughout the chamber and you see that there are pinpricks of light suspended in the air, these illusory motes. And as you kind of rotate the orb in your hand, they kind of coalesce. You see a solar system, a model of a solar system hung in the air using illusory magic. And Val is going to look at it and goes, huh, this is crot space. And you can see that there's the large central sun. There's eight primary worlds, a secondary sun that sits about halfway out, and many, many moons and secondary worlds revolving around those primary worlds and that sun. And more importantly, as you're kind of regarding the solar system, there is this faint, wispy tendrils of soft light that kind of crisscrosses its way through the whole map, up and down and throughout. And they kind of intersect in places and kind of fractal outward. It almost looks like cracks. And where they intersect, they're brighter. And seeing this, it jogs your memory a little bit because you're pretty sure that those tendrils of light indicate areas of the solar system that are closer to the astral plane. Places where the material plane and the astral sea are close, which would be used for the Githyanki as convenient places to jump them and their ships from the material plane to the astral sea and vice versa. Okay. One of these places in particular, in fact, where the glowing is the brightest, is labeled in Githyanki. It's the word Hazin, which you know is Githyanki. Her vault. Okay. She's going to kind of like regard it as she is, her memory is jogged and she's remembering all this. And uh, they keep these at the hatcheries. Uh, these lines here are places where the astral sea and the material plane are close. So you can jump from one to the other in the ships. Huh. Val's going to step forward and she's actually going to point at that one point that is labeled. And she goes, And what is that? It means vault. Oh, 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 well. So this I mean, is a treasure map. Treasure be. map? Actually, Ravnus, you would probably know that the, the Githyanki that, you know, sail the Astral Sea, they often go into the material plane to plunder. And you surmise that this might be a place where they've stored away much of their ill-gotten gains before they eventually will take it back to the Astral Sea. This is where they'll likely take their plunderings back to Tunarath. All right. There were two dead Gith on 
the ship that we just came off of. It was likely theirs. Are you saying that there's treasure out there just sitting somewhere? That's what I'm hearing. Uh, and now, this is the first time in my life I think I'd ever said this, but, um, I mean, would it be disrespectful to your people or your, your culture if we... I, I mean, these were dead give Yankees, so I feel like we kind of need your permission, but, uh, Ravnus. Well, if it's still active, I'm sure that it'll be defended if someone were to come across us. Wow. Well, you would know that these Githyanki were from probably way before the everything sealed. This was from the Cretorian era. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The Githyanki must have been active then as well. You're not sure? I mean, I guess it could be active, but it's probably unlikely. Yeah. It's unlikely that it's active. We could try. I don't know that it's still being used. I don't know if there's even anything there. All right. I mean, I mean, it's from a long time ago. There could still be valuable information there at the bare minimum. I definitely think it's worth checking out. But we have quite a profitable haul now, so perhaps we keep this close to our chest. And once we take all of this back to Nadir Anchorage, we can make this our next voyage out. That sounds good to me. All right. I love it. Perfect. When you activated the drift globe, it kind of drifted out of your hand and is floating in the air. And she'll reach out and grab it and the illusion dissipates and she'll put it back in the box and then take it and hold it under her arm this isn't usually the way we do things but i figured given that you're new here and i wanted to show my appreciation especially having proved that you can you know handle the unexpected as it seems with the unfortunate beholder incident (laughs) but i wanted to give you an opportunity to have your pick of the magical items that we found on this scrow vessel And she gestures to the counter that Yuri is standing behind, and there are two distinct piles. Based on the information that Yuri has given me, I've decided that you'll each have a chance to choose, but you can take one item from this pile, she gestures to the one on the left, or two items from the one on the right. And uh, Yuri will speak up. And if you have any questions, let me know. I can tell you what everything is. All right. Well, thank you. This is very generous. And Val will say, it is nothing. I wanted to make this a gesture of my appreciation. Consider it a welcome aboard gift. Very good. Well, I, I feel welcome. Let's uh, let's get to, get to getting, I suppose. So in the left pile, you see there is a scroll tube. There looks like there is a pair of crystal lenses on wire frames folded neatly to one side. There's a large potion bottle with a shimmering red liquid within it. There is a stone of polished green agate. And then there is a javelin whose head is shaped like two intertwining jagged lightning bolts. And that's the left pile? That's the left pile. That uh, is the, you can have one of these. Sure. If you if you choose from that pile, that's all you get. The other pile, you see there is another spell scroll. There are two vials that are smaller than the one on the other side, but they seem to contain a similar shimmering red liquid. There's a, a second spell scroll on this side. You see that there is a, a simple wooden six-sided die. There is a bull's horn on a leather strap, and it has flying owls carved around the rim. And then there is a vial of a potion that has separated into thin layers of brown, silver, and gray. Ravnus goes to the javelin and picks it up and goes, what's this? Ah, that's a javelin of lightning. You throw it, and it turns into a bolt of lightning that will electrify your enemies and then turn back into a javelin. Does anyone else want this? No, no, thank you. <laughs> Ravnus knows what she wants. <laughs> Mar- Marco just is like, no. <laughs> I want this. 
and she has made her pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've always looked good in a pair of glasses, I thought, so uh, I'd like to check these out. Ah, yes. They will help you observe small details when you are investigating. Hmm. Possibility. Is that in the one pile or the two pile? That's in the one pile. Damn. Yeah, so you can see much better than normal out to a range of one foot, so you have advantage on intelligence checks to investigate that rely on sight um, while searching an area or studying an object. Hot. Then um, I'll look at the spell scrolls while he's looking at that. The one that's on the you get one item is a spell scroll of Glyph of Warding, and then the two from the common pile, it's a spell scroll of Speak with Animals, and the other one is a spell scroll of Find Familiar. Okay, definitely looking at the one. Uh, the other two, not so much. And then you can mix and match from that pile. You can take one of those scrolls and then one of the other items or, or whatever. All right. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, Marco's currently still focused on the current spell scroll. I think the other two he'll uh, set aside. Yeah. Now, this doesn't look like it's worth much. I pick up the stone. Why is this in the pick one pile? That is a stone of good luck. <laughs> now, you, you can't shit a shitter, my friend. You can't just give me a stone and say it's a stone of good luck. Come on now. <laughs> no shitting happening here. Yuri took care of that earlier. <laughs> oh, all right, Yuri. Well, what the hell does a stone of good luck do? Mechanically, pretend you're a DM. <laughs> It'll help you in every endeavor you take and save you in any reaction you need to make. And, in fact, it would give you a plus one bonus to ability checks and saving throws. Period. Wow. Uh, God damn it. I, I like that as Saker, but I feel like Luckbeak would not be convinced. Um, <laughs> he has luck in his name. <laughs> no, it's right there. Okay, and then uh, just just one more. The uh, This die right here? That's a charlatan's die. All right, which does? <laughs> it's magically imbued, so when you roll it, you can decide what number it shows up. Oh, that's real good. I do <laughs> like that. You know what? Uh, and, and then, God, I feel like, Yuri, I feel like I'm being annoying here, but can I talk about the horn? That's a horn of silent alarm. When you blow it, it doesn't make any sound except to the person you want to hear it. Within 600 feet. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, I'm definitely getting that die. You sure you can't give me the die and the stone? I'm sorry, Val makes the rules. Well, I know, but tell you what. Let me roll this. If I get a six, I get the die and the stone. <laughs> I don't think so, right, little bird. Right. Maybe I should have <laughs> taken the stone first so I had a better chance of making you <laughs> All right. Uh, I look at it. It's like, so what's in the vials then? What's the potion? Well, this one, he gestures to the larger red potion, is a potion of greater healing. Well, I guess Scottish when I do Russian sometimes. <laughs> a potion of greater healing. And... These two are the regular potion of healing. Hmm. And this one is a potion of climbing. All really cool. But, um, well, I have a relia for healing, I suppose. And, uh, I don't usually get into many scuffles. And he currently still has a gaping open wound <laughs> from the, uh... Marco has his priorities. <laughs> exactly. Like, he, he just completely ignored the huge gaping wound in his chest. It's like, I don't get uh -huh. into fights that often. <laughs> It's just bleeding. Um, uh -huh. So he's like, he's going to look at the three. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, for me, the dice have spoken. What were the, what's the goggles name again? Eyes of minute seeing. Not to be confused with the eyes of minute seeing. 
Um, <laughs> I flip the uh, agate stone up, the stone of good luck, catch it and put it in my pocket. A good choice. Thank you, Yuri. I already like you. You're one of my favorites. <laughs> and I like you too. I don't know your name. <laughs> Marco, Marco Astorio. It's nice to meet you. Val is very rude. She doesn't introduce anyone to Yuri. Uh. <laughs> Val shrugs and goes, when you know their name, they're easier to swindle. Yuri swindles no one. Hmm. <laughs> Marco's just so. going to think to himself, well, I'm probably going to get swindled. <laughs> <laughs> Yuri's going to look at you, Luckbeaking, and goes, so, my friend, have you made your choice? Yep. Uh, I'm going to take that die, and I think I'm going to take the uh, potion of climbing. All right, then. He will hand you those, and he will take all the other items back. So you guys can go ahead and mark those things, and I will send you the specific text for them, or you can look them up there in either the DMG or Xanathar's Guide to everything. Thank you so much, Val, for, for offering this. I appreciate it. Like I said, it's the least I can do. Consider it a welcome aboard gift. But after a big haul like this, the crew usually celebrates. I would be surprised if they haven't already started. So let's join the party. All right. All right, then. So she'll lead you upstairs. And in fact, basically, there is carousing to be had out on the decks. But Val is going to go back into the mess. And you see that there is a handful of people in there. Specifically, Val is there now. Elmsworth, Coot, Melinda, Roxana, Brohane, Laney, Scriv, Doc Gallen is there, uh, Johannes. Then there's a couple riggers that you've seen in passing, Luckby. There's a, a female gnome that you would know. Her name is Fenella Solly. Mm -hmm. There is a tiefling that you saw in passing. He was up in the rigging when you met Scuttlebutt. You would have learned by now his name is Odyssey. Odyssey. That's the tiefling? Yeah. That's the tiefling. And then there is a female human, uh, and you know her name is Lillian Everly. So yeah, and they're all have tankards, rum and ale and wine is flowing. Coot is bringing out cured meats and cheeses and fruits with bread. And everybody's kind of laughing and having a good time. All right, I could get used to this. This happens after every single one. I mean, come on, this is great. The best hulls are a cause for celebration. Wow. And this was one of the best? It's one of the best in a long time, yes. Well, hot damn, we're your good luck charms, aren't we? apparently help yourselves anything you'd like she's going to move her way through the room and kind of sit at the table in the far back of the room that is perpendicular to the others kind of like a head table some of the other officers uh brohane and elmsworth specifically are sitting over there coot's gonna walk by and goes oh here's some food i don't remember what kind of meat this is oh, really... that's cheese though i know that one <laughs> i grabbed some meat some cheese and some bread and uh He's the, he's the old guy, right? He, he is, is the old tortle. The old, old man. It's really funny because this mess room is pretty cramped and he kind of like carves his way through nudging and <laughs> bumping into people with his huge wide tortle shell. Oh God. And he seems to be like, you know, making sure that food is coming out and making sure that people have drink. And Luckbeak, you see that there's a large bowl of fruit on the table too. All right. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Ravnus is like watching, uh, his name is Coot. 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 She's watching him, uh, like fairly curiously, like kind of regarding him. Mm -hmm. And uh, as he walks away, she turns to Marco and Luckby. When we left the ship initially and fought the Beholder, do you remember the old Gith Yankee we saw? There, um, not particularly when when we see one of those. I don't know. 
I don't recall that at all. Like, I'm still cool with rolling with it, but... I don't think I remembered seeing him in the moment, but when we came back to the ship, I feel like we saw an old Gith Yankee, and I, I was curious why we didn't react to that. I'm sorry, are you talking about Coot? Um, um... He's not a Gith Yankee, he's a turtle. No, I, I know that. I just wondered if you knew that, because there ain't no Gith Yankee on this ship, Ravnus. You're I'm the sorry, only Ravnus. Uh, yeah, you're the only Gith Yankee I've really ever met. Well, not on the ship with the Beholder. Huh? Um, no, I mean, I remember seeing bodies, but I don't remember seeing an old Gith Yankee. Was it an old Gith Yankee body? Because I think we there was some on the one we just left. No, it was an old Gith Yankee, and that's the strange part, because there's no such thing as an old Gith Yankee. Did this I... person talk to you, Ravnus? I, I, I don't remember if I talked to them, but we did meet them. I, I'm sorry, but why don't Gith Yankee get old? Because when they get to be adults, they don't age. Marco, I, I understand your, your, your scholarly brain, but that's not the confusing part right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ravnus, you think you saw somebody that you may have talked to, but you don't remember, and you didn't even bother going back to save them or or trying to confirm with us until days afterwards? What? Oh, I think you'll you might have seen something back there, Ravnus. Some sort of uh, I don't know, ghost or or. Do you remember anything they told you? No, we all met him, all of us. Oh. Did we talk to him? I don't remember. Uh, well, I don't remember ever talking to an old Gith Yankee. Uh, the only Gith Yankee I remember talking to is you. Oh, well, you know, Ravnus, I I gotta go to the little Doa's room. I, I I'll be back in a minute. I uh I just gotta. I'll be right back. Uh, I'm going to find my way to Doc Gallon. Yeah, he's like on the <laughs> other side of the same room. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there with a large tankard. Uh, and I'm gonna be like, uh, hey, Doc. <laughs> I think something's wrong with Ravnus. <laughs> <laughs> you say something's wrong with her? Uh, yeah, she's. she thinks that me and Marco and her saw an old Gith Yankee, which, by the way, apparently doesn't exist, uh, in a cave and, and maybe had a conversation with it. And, I mean, it's, it's definitely a hallucinatory experience. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, yep, yeah, Doc, that's not quite what I wanted to hear from you. <laughs> Look, I know how to... I know how to patch stuff up. I know scratches and bruises. I wasn't even a surgeon before I came on this ship. Okay. So you're, Truth be told. You, you got no PhD. Doc is a nickname rather than nope. a... Okay, just checking. <laughs> my, name, my name is Arthur. They call me Doc. Gotcha. I was a snake oil salesman, and I got myself on board under the guise of being a doctor. And, uh, well, they knew, but they just said, fuck it, and taught me how to be a fucking surgeon on a ship, and here I am. This right. is not reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> He's so open is, about this. So if you say she's crazy, I'm inclined to believe you. I'm going to Aurelia from now on and only Aurelia from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, uh, I mean, do you think that anybody on this ship could give like, you know, on the job psychiatric training to anybody else? Because I, I mean, I'm concerned about Fuck her. might beats me. You gotta ask them. All right. Well. Thanks for a shit ton, Doc. I appreciate it. Luck be humbled. Oh, it's great. I have these flyers that you requested for your Spacer's Gambit night. I don't know what a Spacer's uh, Gambit right. is or why so there would be down, a but... night okay. dedicated to such things, but I certainly enjoyed making them for you. Uh, I, no, I appreciate it. Now, you remember you're not supposed to tell Val about this, right? 
Um, yes, I do remember that. I don't understand why. Well, Scriff, you're welcome to come, but it's you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a boys' night. You know what I mean? Oh well, I am neither a boy nor a girl. I, so, all right, I, I understand. Well, Scriff, you're welcome to come anyway if you'd like. It's just you know, I, I don't know if this is something that Val would approve of. So we're just kind of keeping it on the hush hush. I could ask her if you'd like. That, Scriv, that would be the opposite of what I just asked you to do, so I appreciate how literal you are about everything, but in this case, I would appreciate just a modicum of privacy. Oh, very well. And actually, Doc Gallon is just still sitting there going, you play Spicer's Gambit. Art, you're welcome to join us. <laughs> Been a while, but uh, I'd be more than happy. Well, his his accent is really all over the place. Uh, boy, I, I, I truly love his accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all over the place. <laughs> oh, it's been a while, but uh, sure. All right, all right. Hey, how about this? First hand, if, if I win, you have to start calling me Doc since it's a title that don't mean shit anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. All right, all right. I quite like it. <laughs> oh, we could play now if you want. All right. I suppose I don't see any reason not to. I mean, we, we got to maybe find a private room. I don't want all these people cheering around and, you know, it's, 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 that's, it's, uh, isn't that part of the fun though? I guess. I thought it was more of a smoky back room, you know, money going this yeah, way, that way. Yeah, for whatever way. you're doing, but I just want to play cards now. All right, fine. All right, let's play. <laughs> uh, who else is in? You have the cards? Uh, I got the dice. Yeah. Wait, is it, Nick? Uh, it's a card game. It just uses dice when you play it. Sure, understood. In Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, then I'm returning this goddamn charlatan's die because I bought it explicitly for <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can imagine that there's plenty of other uses for it. <laughs> yeah, probably, but I just really, really wanted to win Spacer's Gambit. <laughs> uh, okay, um, can I can go around and sort of recruit uh, whoever was, was going to do Spacer's Gambit with me. Certainly the party. I like Doc. Uh, I definitely want uh, Scuttlebutt to be part of this, um, mm -hmm. if he wants to be. Uh, uh -huh. Let's see. Uh, Meryl and Melinda. Sure. You haven't seen Meryl around, but Melinda's here tonight. Okay, that works. God, I feel like I could swindle Coot out of some money. <laughs> so that's kind of a fun idea. Man, don't play uh, with Coot. He's going to steal your shoes. Very At the end well. of the day, you're going to be naked. <laughs> He's a fucking shark. <laughs> <laughs> he lives the lie. <laughs> Starts playing, he puts on a little cap, and suddenly everybody's naked, and he's this walking away. This is the prestige shit. He's just <laughs> pretending to be senile every waking moment. Oh man. Okay. Uh, I I walk around to those people and I see if they're invested for losing a little bit of the income they just made, and uh, uh, see if they want to play a game of Spacer's Gambit. Um, I think that Marco would be hesitant because he has never played that game in his life. Oh, no, Marco, it's, this is a baby game. I mean, it's just basically, listen, follow my lead. You're going to be fine. L listen, but uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a gambling game. And I mean, uh, well, I guess I did make 50 gold today, but. <laughs> well, no, Marco, uh, listen, view this as a, uh, you know, this is an important, uh, an important uh, uh, sort of socio thing for some people, right? So this can be an opportunity to study uh, a culture that you didn't know before. Marco, you're a pirate. Why do you care about gambling? Uh, I didn't know I was a pirate. Um, okay, um, okay, okay. You know what? You're right. This is a this is a sociological uh, ex uh, experience. There we go. An experience. Exactly. So, absolutely. Why not? Let's give it a go. I guess I'll learn as I go. You got more money than you ever seen in your life right now. You can afford to lose some of it. <laughs> and uh, ravenous, of course, you're in. I want to finish my dinner. Well, 
All right. <laughs> I mean, we could eat at the table. Okay. <laughs> That was easy. She's going to just load up her plate and take it with her. Of the others that are there, you don't as much interest as you might for like the actual night since everyone is kind of in the process of socializing and eating and drinking on their own. Like Melinda will say next time. And you haven't seen Scuttlebutt here at all tonight. Scriv seems curious. So he's going to sit down as well. And Doc Gallen will play. For sure. Ravnus has probably carried like two plates of food back with him <laughs> to play this game. Just feasting. Yeah. Like, I imagine you're just going to play there. Nobody seems to care if you're going to start playing cards in the mess. But it's up to you guys. Yeah, we're, we're playing here. It's fine. Uh, so Doc is going to say, so uh, Spacer's Gambit or Freebooters? Uh, Spacer's Gambit. Let's keep it easy. This is the kid's first time playing. He'll chuckle and give you a look like he knows what's up. But he doesn't say anything. Okay. Luckbeak, are you going to deal cards then? Sure. I'll deal them out. So, yeah, you'll deal the first hand to everybody. Doc is like, ah, keep the stakes low. How about a, uh, a star for uh, Auntie, which is a copper piece? Uh, sure. Sure. You said they're learning? Sure. Seems like child's play, but yeah, let's do Marco it. Marco flips in a copper. He'll toss a copper in. Yeah, Ravnus is the same. And she's also going to try to keep an eye on Luckbeak because she's pretty <laughs> certain that he's going to try to cheat. I can't. Mechanically, I can't anymore. I thought I could. <laughs> well, you could always try to slide yeah. a hand roll sure, okay. to slide a hand cards into your hand. Gotcha. And so it'll be a D20 roll on the first round, a D12 on the second round, and a D6 on the final round. And you want your total to be as far from 21 as possible. So the hand of three, which is one on every single die, is the best. And okay. a hand of 38, which is a 20, 12, and a six, is the second best. And the closer you get to 21 from either end, the worse off you are. Okay, it's a D12, a what, and a D6? A D20, a D12, and a D6. Okay. So, but you're going to roll them one at a time. So the first oh, okay. round, everybody rolls a D20, they look at it, and then they will place bets. Everyone will call, you can raise, it works like poker. I don't know how to play poker, so I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. I, I think Ravnus probably doesn't know how to play this game either, so it works. Yeah, she's, she's just, you know, wild card. That's fine. <laughs> okay, so you deal it out. I'm going to roll for Duck and right, Scrib. I'm rolling. Okay. So we'll say that Doc is sitting to your left, Luckbeak. Sure. So he'll throw five nibs in. Uh, all right. Scrib is going to look at his card and goes, I got a 12. The up oh, scream oh boy all right are we supposed to say it or are nope, we not you actually oh are we not supposed to say it you're not i don't know i mean you now but but here's the, here's the yomi my friend you could be saying it and you could have a 20 or a one now i know that you're not why would i be deceptive wow all right scream all right, um, right. <laughs> i'm gonna say that uh marco is smiling broadly yeah Okay, the current bid is five, so you can call and meet that or raise or fold if you want to completely get sure. out. Sure, so we'll say I'm next, I'm going to call. I will call. Okay. Ravnus okay. goes, what do we do if we have something good? Well, you can raise if you want, and then you're going to force other people to put in more money, and those of people who don't have a great hand might fold instead. Uh, so Ravnus is going to put in six. <sighs> Doc will throw in one more. What did Scriv do? Scriv is... Looking around like he doesn't understand the concept. Scrib, just put in six, please. Um, Marco matches. Oh, yeah. And he puts in six. What the hell's a robot going to do with all that money? Uh, I'll put in six as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, we're all good. Nobody else raised. So now we get to get another card. Everybody roll a d12. Yeah. Everybody roll a d12. You keep your d20 roll, and you're going to add the d12 to that number. 
Uh, at this point, Ravnus, Scriv, uh, uh, Marco, if you're approaching 21, you might start to get scared. So, you know, the further away you are, the better. So, so you know, judge judge how much you're betting based off of that. Marco's still smiling. Um, All right, well, I believe we start Doc, with Doc, yeah. Doc is going to put in a whole shard. Is that a silver? That's a silver. Or, uh, not a shard. A shard is water deep currency. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say anything, he's gonna. But... Yeah, he puts in a whole moon. Which is a silver piece, mm. which is almost double the last round's bet. Yeah. Oh boy, Doc, you feeling generous, are you? He he kind of grins at you. All right. Well, not much I can say to that. Uh, I will raise. You guys can always insight check if you'd like when when that sort of thing happens. Uh, sure. I'll raise. I'll put in two moon. He doesn't even think about it. He throws another shard in. Um, Marco, as he continues to smile, throws in uh two shards to match. Two moons. Two moons. We got to get off the Jesus. shard thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did too. We're we're in water deep, just in space. Yeah, water deep in space. So Ravnus, the the current bet is two silver pieces. Yeah, she puts in two moons. Definitely not two, two moons. Scriv, will I get this money back? No. Well, Scriv, if you win, you will, and you'll get all the other money too. But if I win, then that means everyone else has lost. Yeah, Scriv, this is kind of a competitive game. It's not really a cooperative thing we're doing. Oh. I don't believe this game is for me. And he's going to slide his cards in. You can interpret that as a fold. Uh, all right. Everybody's happy with that then. Uh, all right. Well, this is the final card. So here you go, everybody. All right. Then everybody roll a D6. Uh, Nick, as I'm dealing out the final card, I'm, I'm swapping one of my cards for one of Scriv's uh, face downs. Can I try to sense that? Because I said I was yep. trying to watch Luckbeak. Yep, go ahead and make a perception check. Uh, you can do it with advantage because you were specifically looking. Nice. Is this versus my sleight of hand or what? Yep. That is a 14. 17. Oh, shit. So, yeah, you don't notice. He's very good. Dealing out with the one hand, and he just quickly, without even looking, swaps. <laughs> I, I switched my uh, my D20. Okay. Uh, Doc is going to throw another two moons in. Now, we're still playing with moons, huh? I mean, where I'm from, and I, I know it's not the same everywhere, but, you know, it's, it's, it's conventional to have copper on the first hand, silver on the second, and I flip in a gold piece. Um... You notice that Marco's grin has gotten even wider as he is showing his teeth. Uh, he looks at uh, Luckbeak and he throws in five gold pieces. Now, Marco, remember, it's furthest from 21. <laughs> Doc is going to see that and go, well, fuck. Uh, and he's going to fold. Ravnus? Yeah, Ravnus will do that, too. Well, hell. I mean, I'm not a man to turn down a bet. Here's four more. All right, fellas. Let's flip them over. So what were everyone's totals? Uh-huh. I had... Eight. I also had eight. <laughs> oh, shit. Ravnus had 11. Oh. So Luckbeak and Marco split the pot. All right. Because they had the exact same hand. All Excellent. right. I like this game. Yeah. I like this game. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> had 20 before I switched out my card for scripts. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, Marco, that's what we call beginner's luck. I'm proud of you, boy. Looks like that stone luck's coming in handy. Yeah. Oh, Good God, why didn't I? I took this damn die. This is useless. <laughs> well, hey, nicely done, my friend. Oh, thank you. As you collect the cards and you're shuffling them to deal out again, the door swings open and you see the tabaxi rigger, who you've only seen at a distance. He's this black furred tabaxi, yellow eyes. You know his name is Jack in Tatters mm -hmm. or Jack. And he runs in and goes, Captain, there are ships. We've come out of spell jamming speed. There's two ships. 
and Val will stand and walk out of the room. And actually most of the crew are wide-eyed now and they put down their ales and they're going to follow her out to the deck. Of course we follow. So you get out there and there are in fact two ships and you can't hear them. You know that they are outside of your air envelope so there's no sound. But you see the flashes of cannon fire as it looks like a marlin, which is an open deck ship, not dissimilar from a hammerhead, but it looks like a the swordfish, is exchanging blows with this ship that looks like this enclosed dwarven make ship out of stone. And you see in blazoned from a mast coming out of the top of the ship is the flag with the red triangle with the three bifurcating spokes of the Zenith Syndicate. And the other ship are flying the colors of the Salvagers Guild. And Val looks like she's deep in thought. She's contemplating something. Elmsworth is going to stand up next to her and, Captain, if we are careful and keep our distance, we can skirt by unscathed. And Val is going to furrow her brow. Everyone to their stations. We're interceding. projectderailed.com